Everybody doing okay? You doing all right? It is sunny, I know, and it is summer. Um, one of the things we've been talking about, both with our lead team, so we have a lead team here that stewards the vision of our church and leads us forward, and then we also have a little bit of a ministry team, and these are people that are on the ground helping in some of the different areas. We've just been talking, and one of the things we've been really wanting to put before people is we really want to have seasonal rhythms as a community. And so one of the things we're hoping is that every season, we would not only have a teaching series and a theme that we would be walking through, as well as your kids and students walking through their themes as well, but we'd also have a spiritual practice that we practice every season together. Right now, we're actually practicing the spiritual discipline of Sabbath over the summer. If you go to our website, there's tons of resources. But as well, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, we had a phenomenal teacher by video introduce Sabbath to us, and it was amazing. We had a little technical glitch partway through, but I can't tell you how many conversations in our community since then I've had around that teaching. And we had our community meal after on the Wednesday night, and we, late into the night, just talked about this idea of Sabbath and what it's doing in us. And so we really encourage you to practice along with us with that. And then the third component every season is we're hoping to have a community outreach. And so right now, we're partnering with Compass Basketball, and we're helping with some sponsorship. So just remember that when you give to Praxis, part of that goes to helping the ongoing work here. But then as well, every season, we're also giving away. Uh, to other local outreach. And so right now we're planning, and the hope is, and we are, going to uh, sponsor five kids that wouldn't have an opportunity to participate in these camps at $100 each. And so just remember, as you give to this community, we're hoping that it goes way beyond us. And if you want to get involved, Jay shared, Jay Lawrence shared a couple weeks ago, uh, if there's anything that you feel like you could lend, like your time over the summer, please talk to him or Surgeon Nicole. And uh, even myself, we'll get you, we'll put you to work, which is is great. Sound good? All right, so now if, if you want, we're going to jump right into the teaching. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, if you have a Bible and you want to turn it on and follow along with us, um, you can turn on your Bible or open it up and that's amazing. I'll say this, there is, there is a theme throughout the scriptures that leaders are to be a gift to the church. Leaders are to be a gift to the church. Paul, the guy who we're going to read his words in just a few minutes, was an apostle over a number of churches in the ancient Mediterranean, and Paul was a gift to these churches, his leadership, his life, and ultimately he was a gift to this church in Ephesus. And I know Ephesians is a letter is more of a circular letter, meaning it's a letter that was passed around, so it could have been to the church in Ephesus, but as well, it was probably passed around to other places, which is really beautiful for us, because it really leans in to us to say, we can pick this letter up a couple thousand years later, and we can read it as though it's for us. Yes, it was to a certain community and communities in the beginning uh, of the church, but now we get to pick it up years later. And leaders are to be a gift to the church. Now, can we be honest? Uh, as I say this, there's probably, for some of you, your experiences with the church, something negative conjures up as I say that, because it's not always the case. You with me? Like, leaders mess up. Have you seen this before? Uh, we're in a moment in church right now, in our cultural moment, where leaders do all sorts of crazy things. They abuse their power. 
If you don't know, I mean, just Google it. There's sex and money scandals, all sorts of stuff that Christian leaders get themselves entangled with. And ultimately, there's leaders that don't look out for the best interests of their community. They look out for themselves. So I get it in this place when even I say things like leaders are to be a gift to the church. There could be something that conjures up within you. And I get it. I get it if you're skeptical because I've been skeptical as well. I'll just say this. Um, it was about 10 years ago, Heather and I were really transitioning out of youth ministry and working on a staff to becoming more of a, a lead pastor and in a lead role and a, more of a teaching and preaching role. And honestly, I had to wrestle with this call to pastoral ministry because many of the people that I saw, not many, but there was a lot of people that I saw, though there's a ton of great leaders and pastors, a lot of people that I saw in ministry were one, alpha males, alpha male leaders, and two, a lot of them were more concerned with business strategies and ego than serving others. And this is some, a, a decade ago, I remember, I had to wrestle through, this is, if I'm going to do this, this is not what I want to become. And I hear it all the time. I hear all sorts of crazy stuff in the church that kind of takes on a business model, like a business model in the church is going to work. I've heard pastors even recently talk about people in their church as giving units. Is that not crazy? Come on, people. They talk about their congregation as giving units, as though you're not human. You're just something that's used as a commodity to kind of get a leader or leaders to the next level. And it, honestly, it breaks my heart. Even a few months ago, I gotta be careful, but I was caught between two pastors at a table who were basically bragging between me how many services and people their church had. Like this is the pinnacle of what Jesus said we should go and do. I'm not great with sarcasm, but that was sarcastic. You with me? You all right? And so... Leaders are to be a gift to the church, to pour their lives out and to be a blessing to the church. But I've also wrestled with the tension looking around in our moment, seeing churches used as commodities for platforms for leaders and all sorts of gnarly, gnarly stuff in our context. And I had to wrestle through it. This is actually, this is uh, Paul speaking here um, in 1 Thessalonians. This is not the text for this morning, but this is another letter that Paul wrote it's actually his first letter, 1 Thessalonians, to a church in Thessalonica, and he says this. This has been my life verse, though I'm far from perfect. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, and listen to what Paul says, we were delighted to share not only the gospel of God with you, but what does he say? We shared our, reading it with me, our lives with you. Paul is using imagery here of, I came to you, and we planted this thing, and like a nursing mother, I gave myself to you. And I love the fact that he says, I didn't just use this message, because how many people do we know? I know tons of people who know the message of God really well, but they, they don't pour out their lives for other people. It's almost like the message can be something then in return that even though it's good, we know the gospel is good, can become almost abusive because all it is is a message and not life together. And Paul says, listen, I came not just with the gospel of God, but with my life, and we came with our lives. And so one of the things you get when you read the letters of Paul is he often, actually over and over, and he does it a lot in Ephesians, he intercedes for the church. 
He, he actually, what we're going to read here, the text for this morning, is actually a prayer of Paul for the church in Ephesus. And I just think we need to just kind of lean into this because sometimes it's really easy to you know, just kind of overread. This is a guy from a couple thousand years ago praying for people a couple thousand years ago. But I think it's actually going to say something to us. And I'll just pause here and say, I don't know if you know this, but do you know this? I, sometimes I take for granted the reality that you may not know. Do you know you're being prayed for? Like, did you know, I don't know if you know this, but like, by name, you and your family, if you're part of this community and family here, are prayed for. We have this thing called Planning Center that we put our giving and our, our database we use, and it's a great little platform and tool. And honestly, I view it not just as a tool to send emails out and connect with people, and as the church, we don't just view it as that, but actually, it's used weekly as we go in and as I go in for names and faces of people that we intercede for in this community. You may not like this church, I get it. There's some things here, you know, you may not even like me or the leadership or whatever, but at least one thing being a part of this community is you're being prayed for. If you enter into life here, you with me? There's people that are actually interceding and praying for you. So you may be like, man, I don't like this, or I don't like this. At least, at least we've got this going for us. And so the way of Jesus and the way of leadership in the Jesus way is this, it's love, pouring our lives out, serving. Just as Jesus was the Eucharist, his body was broken and his blood was poured out. Now two leaders are called to serve the church, and we're gonna learn more about this in Ephesians. They're called to pour their lives out. Their bodies are broken and their blood is poured out for the community, metaphorically, hopefully, right? And the third component I would say that's so opposite than the world is leaders in the church are called to pray to pray for the people that are under their care. And here's the thing. This way of leadership doesn't always work in the world, right? So oftentimes we say, well, we need to be like Jesus and we need to influence the world. Do you know that oftentimes the Jesus way got the apostles, you know, they, they got killed, right? And the way that we're called into, the, way, the Jesus way of leadership doesn't always work in the world that we live in. It's actually really countercultural because it's love, it's service, and it's prayer, and we see this. I mean, just watch the film Fire Festival, the documentary, and you see that the world's way of leadership is upside down. Um, this week, we were on holidays, so I had an eight-hour drive yesterday with four kids in the car. So what do I do? I put headphones in. Anybody with me? And I listen to podcasts. Is that, I don't even know if that's legal. Is that legal? It's not legal these days, so we'll cut that out of the podcast or whatever. I don't know. But um, I do it anyways. I'm very focused on the road. I'm very focused on the road. But, um, and I w somebody put me onto this podcast called Dropout. It's about this gal who became one of the richest women in the world, uh, perpetrating a medical device that wasn't even true, was, didn't even work. And just the stepping on each other and climbing to the top and firing people for no reason and the lying, the compulsive lying within the organization. She was well-known all around the world, was glorified by both the media and people in the medical world, had all sorts of well-known people on, his, on her board from uh, secretaries of state to people all uh, that have all this influence and in the end, it absolutely fell apart and I, you, know, you can listen to it. She's basically gonna go to jail and I just thought the Jesus way of leadership is so upside down, it's so different. It's love, it's service. And we're gonna, it's, it's here that we're going to see it's prayer. Like, 
If you want to be a leader in the community of God, one of the things that we're drawn into is this care of intercession for the people that are in our care. And so Ephesians is a drama. I love how one scholar has really pointed out that it portrays the victory of God in Christ over the dark powers that rule this present age. And the letter becomes a script now of how God's people can continue by the power of the Spirit to perform the drama called the triumph of God in Christ. Basically what this guy is saying, his name's Tim Gombas, is great. I think it's a beautiful picture of what this letter is. It's a drama showing now how the church enters in. And part of how we enter into the life of God in this present moment is warfare, right? Like there's, and we're going to learn tons more in Ephesians. There's a whole world, many of us just think physical right here, right now. There is a world raging right now in the spirit for you and for me. And God calls us through this letter and through Paul's writings into now practice. And one of the ways that we practice this is we enter into a life of intercession. Are you with me? Paul is always interceding, knowing that not just what we see in this room is all that there is. There's a war, there's a battle going on, and it is not flesh and blood. We are people of peace, but there's a war in the spirit for you and for me. And that is really hard for our rational, especially since the Enlightenment, where you know, we want to see everything under a microscope, or we want to see facts, and we've got science, and I'm for all that. But there is this war that is raging. Hang with me. You all right? You're looking good. Uh, now, co- communicating such a funny thing, because uh, every week, you know, in this kind of role, you come to a blank page, and certainly we have the text that leads us, and then, you know, sometimes you want to tell stories that are funny and engaging, so you like me, and you probably think I'm better than I really am. You can laugh. It's church. I know it's a little warm in here. Anybody sweating under the arms? It's a little warm. And, you know, we'll always pursue this idea of our teaching being engaging, and even for the fall, just looking ahead to some of the topics and things we're going to come into, it's it's going to be amazing. Um, and here's the, here's the thing. And I'm like this, too, because I love theology, and I love mind-blowing stuff. So here's the problem. We love stuff that's mind-blowing. We sometimes want to come to the Bible and just, like, around topics and stuff and just have our minds bent. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm there. I want to have my mind shaped, my heart shaped. But I also think the unique thing about being part of a community is that we're, we slow down and we're patient. And I just, all week I've been wrestling through, as I was kind of been preparing this, just wrestling through the reality that this really isn't mind-blowing. This isn't mind-bending stuff here. What I just want to do for a couple minutes is I just simply want to tell you and show you what Paul prays over the church. I just want to show you what Paul prays over, his, how his heart bleeds for these people. And remember, this isn't a culture where they're trying to sort it out. This is fresh, these communities. All sorts of things, and we've already read in the letter, Jewish and Gentile stuff, racism in the church, all sorts of things going on. They're brand new. There's really nobody that's gone before them, and now Paul is trying to show them the way through his writings. And so I wanted to show you what he says and prays over them, because I actually believe it's what God wants to pray over us as a community. You okay? You can leave if you want. We'll give you a second. We'll all watch you. Yeah, right? All right, look down. Verse 14, he says this, Ephesians 3, 14. He says, for this reason, this is how he starts. For this reason, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, one of the things, in, if you've been around the church for a while, if your Bible says, therefore, you ask the question, what is it 
therefore, nobody grow up in like weird Christian circles? Only me, okay. If you see therefore in your Bible, it's actually a pretty good principle. You always wanna ask, well, what is it therefore? And in this case, in my text, in the NIV, it says, for this reason. So we would ask the question, what is this reason? So Paul's continuing on, and I actually think it's tied in to verse 12, and which we read a few weeks ago when Paul says this, in him, in Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So Paul's basically saying this, for this reason now that we get to come to God with all assurance and confidence, there's no wall of hostility, there's, no, there's nothing separating us from the love of God. For this reason that we can come to God, he's given himself and has drawn us in I kneel before the Father. I kneel before the Father. It is true in our moment, isn't it, that certain expressions of prayer are kind of lost. I'll tell you a story. So funny. I'm just thinking about this now. I grew up in a church where Sunday evenings concluded with prayer. And everybody would actually turn and they would kneel. And some of you know this. You would literally, the whole church would be called to kneel and pray. Not very secret sensitive, I don't think. Um, and they would pray and you kind of pray on your own with your head kind of buried in the pew. And I remember as a kid, there was a guy praying here, an older man, completely bald. And uh, I was not very interested. So I was sitting doing my thing. And probably me and Mike were m- making trouble. Anyways, so we're sitting here and... Pastor guy who happened to be my dad called this guy to kneel down and pray. And all of a sudden I look up and he had his glasses on his forehead and I thought he lost his eyes. As a five-year-old, I was like, just had his glasses up and there was his forehead under his glasses. And I was like, Yahtzee. Um, but I think we've lost, at, okay, so in our moment, we've lost the posture of kneeling. And there's something here that as Paul even writes, it's a posture Eugene Peterson, he puts it like this, the huge, huge. This is so amazing. He says, while on my knees, I cannot run away. I cannot assert myself. I place myself in a position of willed submission, vulnerable to the will of the person before whom I I am bowing. It is an act of retreating from this action so that I can perceive what the action is without me in it without me taking up space, without me speaking my peace. On my knees, I'm no longer in a position to flex my muscles, strut or cower, hide in the shadows or show off on stage. I become less so that I can be aware of more. I assume a posture that lets me see what really looks like without the distorting lens of either my timid avoidance or my aggressive domination. I set my agenda aside for a time it becomes still and present to God. There's something about coming to our knees. And this is the posture actually of Paul. He says, for this reason, I I kneel before the Father. And listen to what he says of the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul here is saying, listen, all y'all are image bearers. You are God's. And in the ancient world, the one who actually named something was the one who claimed authority over it. Now, who do you think did this all the time? A guy named Caesar, and the Caesars did this. They would just speak, and their authority would come with their rule and reign. And Paul says, I've come to my knees to pray for you, but just remember, from every fam- you are from every family in heaven that derives its name from the Father. You are an image bearer. 
You are under the authority of this great God. And so what does Paul pray? He prays three things, really simple stuff. Verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul here prays that the God who owns everything, who's rich and mighty and powerful, the one who set the stars in their place, he's also the one that gives us the power through his spirit. But it's interesting, the line here, he gives us the, God gives us the power through his spirit where in our, in my version it says, in our inner being. Now, Paul uses this term inner being or inner man in his letters all over the place. Now, obviously, gender neutral now. I think a great way of saying it is inner being. And there's all sorts of discussion around what this means. And I could give you 10 different theologians and what they think. To me, it makes most sense that our inner being is actually another way of describing the spiritual aspect of our person. So the outer being, by contrast, would be the visible or the external aspect. The inner being is the work of the spirit within us, right? So as we grow old on the outside, anybody growing old, the bumps and the pains and feeling like now, I remember people would say, you're late 30s, you just start to feel stuff. And now I'm turning into my late 30s and it's crazy. Anybody with me? Um, As we, and Ava found some gray hairs again this week and I pulled them out in my pursuit of trying to be young forever. But you know what's crazy is the outer man, it's gonna decay. None of us, like no matter how much uh, Botox or whatever you wanna do, over time, one out of one of us, 10 out of 10 are going to die. We are going to come into physical decay. But what's crazy is that the outer man is going to decay, but the inner, you know what's crazy about what we're caught up in? You and I can grow up in Christ and grow in spirituality and in maturity and grow in our spirit until we die. And this is what Paul is saying, that you've been given the spirit by the Father in your inner being, and it's for something. So we're given the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in you through your allegiance in him. So there's a purpose for it. The work of God, the inner work through the Spirit in us, actually then propels us into greater allegiance to Jesus as King of the universe. So here's the thing. There's, here's the, we need to get this. There is no following Jesus, and there is no growing up in Christ without the Spirit. Some people will ask us, well, why do you talk about the Holy Spirit so much? Is it because you're Pentecostal or you're charismatic or whatever? And I come from those streams, but honestly, I've gone through my own deconstruction of all of this, I read the Bible and I look, the only way that God is here right now is by his spirit. The spirit is not just for some some person in one denomination, not for the other. It's just, that's craziness. There's no following Jesus. There's no maturing in Christ without the work of the spirit. And Paul here is basically praying that the work of the Holy Spirit would mature us as people who follow him. So we're called into this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of everything that he is, that he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through allegiance. Beautiful. Then he prays this. He says this, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. 
Paul's prayer, you know what's crazy? Paul's prayer is that we would have power in our inner being, that the Spirit's work would be in there. But you notice how over and over, especially in Ephesians, this is never disengaged from the community of Jesus. The Spirit works now in the Lord's holy people. We have power as a community. And I'll just say this, and you know this, there's a disease going around right now, and I'm not even a medical doctor, though we have some very fine medical people here. There's a little bit of a a disease I see going around, especially in our moment, especially with the internet and TV preachers, and it's this disease called individualitis. Can you say individualitis? Now, don't check a medical journal, because I promise you it's not there. I promise you it's probably not on the internet. But I am meeting more and more people all the time who have individualitis. They say they love Jesus. They say they follow Jesus as king. But basically, it is all about them as an individual. Jeremiah 29, 11, the plans and purposes that God has for them as an individual. Yet that was to an entire community of people. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? If I threw you out in Lake Huron right now in the middle of it, you're probably not swimming back. You know, I'm not sure you can do everything in the world. That is in context, right? There's a context around I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anybody know what that context is? Contentment. Paul says, whether I have a lot or a little, he was the top of the Jewish kind of sect that he was leading, and he was also in jail. He said, whether I have a lot or a little, I can be content, and I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. I meet a lot of people who want a life in God without the Lord's people, and it's called individualitis. And I've been around the evangelical world long enough to know that people want power. When you read these texts, I want want the power of the Holy Ghost. Any Pentecostal people with me? I'm like the only one here. This was like my life story. People want the power. They want the Jericho march on a Sunday evening after church. Anyways, you're like, what? Yes, we did it. It's crazy. I know. God has saved me again. It's good. But they want the power. They want the power. Don't worry. No Jericho marches here. I promise. I'll put my foot down. Um, uh, Anyways, they want the power, but they want it disconnected from the church. They want the cultural kind of position of autonomy and authenticity, and it leads to individualitis. And yet Paul, all through Ephesians, is connecting the work of the Spirit to the church. Remember, what makes known the manifest wisdom of God? What makes known the mystery of the gospel? Versus earlier, Paul says, a community that's living this out together, that you coming together are the ones that make this manifold wisdom known. And that's where the power is. is. And now interesting here, it says, You're given this power as the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That word grasp is probably better understood, like in the original language, as to obtain or to make it your own. So sometimes we think if you grasp something, we often think if you grasp something, you're getting it in where? Your head. That's not That's not just what the word means here. It means to obtain or to make it your own or to take possession, to literally like step into it. One of the things that the Spirit's work that it does within the church is it helps us possess the love of God in its depth, in its height, how long it is, how wide. One of the things that the work of the Spirit does within the church is it now leads us as a community to understand in deep in our bones, in every fabric of our life, how good God's love is. And this is Paul's prayer for the community, that the Spirit would work within you as the Lord's people, and you wouldn't just get it in your head, but it would permeate every area of your life, that you would literally possess God's love. I love what he's praying. Isn't that beautiful? Imagine a community 
that in everything, we were the ones that possessed God's love deep down inside of us. Then verse 19, he says this. Final thing he prays is this. And I pray to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, it says to know the love that surpasses knowledge here. Again, sometimes in English, there's probably better phrases that we could interpret. I think the better word here than just to know is to learn to know. That's what the Greek word means. That we're people that learn to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul prays that we would learn to know God's love, that we may be full of him and filled to brimming with him, that he is the one that fills our lives. And ultimately what Paul is doing here is he is interceding that we as a community and as people would be filled with God. This is what maturity is. This is why the whole letter was written. Paul's heart is bleeding for this community. And as I pick it up, as a leader in the church, and I know, listen, we try here to invite everybody to the table, and I've wrestled through this. There are leaders in the church that should be a gift to the church. As I pick up Paul's words, I'm just, I'm realizing that this is, this is the countercultural heart of somebody who follows Jesus and then leads a community. This love, this service, and this prayer. And it could basically be summed up like this. And this is what maturity is. It could be summed up like this. Paul prays that the community would be filled with power and that they would know his love. And friends, that's my prayer for myself and that's my prayer for this community. That we would be filled with the power of the Spirit as a community and we would know deep down within us, no matter what we go through, what's thrown at us, what our next steps are, the disappointments in life, whatever it is, that we would know God's love. Are you with me? Are you with me? So then he prays, and then he ends this, this beautiful prayer that, again, isn't really that mind-bending. He ends it with a doxology. A doxology in the scripture is an offering of glory. A lot of times the early churches, and churches even today, will still sing these kind of praises or these offerings of glory. And it says this, you, you know this well if you've been around the church. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is within us, to him be glory, but listen to what he says, to him be glory, but in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and everybody said, Amen. This closing doxology, you know what's crazy about this one? I think this is the only one in Scripture that not only glorifies God, it also invites us, people who follow Jesus, the Jesus community, to experience more of God's power at work through us. So it's praise, it's this, this honor to God, this doxology, but this is the one because Ephesians is not separating church and God here in his work. This is the one that also says, you and I are to experience more of God's power at work through us. Guys, this is the kind of church we want to be. That you get up, you come here, you get your kids checked in. That we together would experience more of God's work through us. And just be reminded over and over, sometimes we just want God to do his work on his own. But remember, from the beginning, even in our creation narrative, from the beginning, God wanted to use kings and queens, us who follow him, the people of God, his image bearers, to rule with him. And is that jacked up? Oh, it's jacked. Just look around the world right now at oppressive leadership and everything that's gone awry. But the church are these ones, just like the cat, anybody, uh, what's the C.S. Lewis book? 
The Magician's Nephew. Anybody ever read that? I've read these books to my kids. I remember the first time I read The Magician's Nephew to Ava. It's a story where they're trapped in Narnia and you have London as kind of the outer world. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere in the story, don't want to, spoiler alert, anybody going to read it? You can close your ears. We're reading and I'm reading out loud with Ava when she was really little. And all of a sudden, Aslan makes the cab driver and the London cab driver, like not London, Ontario, the real London, you know, the one with Big Ben, makes the real London cab driver and his wife, people who weren't even really at the center of the story, he makes them the king and queen of Narnia. And I think that's, that's a picture of what God wants to do through, it's a great picture of what God is doing in the church. We are called to co-rule with him. And so, we cannot have one without the other. No Christ without the church and no church without Christ. Those two, we want, we oftentimes want God as an individual. And this doxology shows us that it is actually in the work of the church in which God is glorified and praised. And so Paul, bleeding for this community, offering up prayer, prays that they would be filled with power and they would know his love. And my prayer for you and my prayer for everybody that breathes and participates in this community is that you would know God's power. God is not static. He wants to give you his spirit. And that spirit should be alive and moving. I mean, I can't tell you as I uh, stood here this morning, I hope that there's something that longs within you to be with God's people. As I I sang this morning, I was just like, man, two weeks is too long, man, to hear the voices of God's people singing together. And if there's ever a moment and a time, it's now. We need this. We need each other now. And so now to him who is able to do way more than we could all ask or imagine, according to his power within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's our prayer. You with me?